We're on lesson 13, which is the last lesson of the winter quarter, and the title of the lesson is Stand Up in Praise to God. And it's Psalm, Psalms 135 to 150. Uh, we will cover Psalm 137, Psalm 139, which is a very good one, and then Psalm 150. So, Lord, we thank you for the psalms. Uh, they're wonderful to pray, for, to be a jumping-off point for prayer. And they are prayers of uh, different people in the past, mostly David, but others as well. And we thank you for them and what they teach about you and what they teach about the Lord Jesus and what they teach about us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first one that skipped is a Psalm 135, and that so I'll just say Psalm 135, verse 6. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deeps. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain, who brings forth the wind from his treasuries. He smote the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast. He sent signs and wonders into your midst, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and all his servants. So God does what he wants. His greatest miracle was creation itself. He spoke, and the universe jumped into existence, and he has overseen it since then. So uh, section A is called Songless in Babylon. And that is Psalm 137, Psalm 137, 1 through 9. So I'll, I'll read that one to start off. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps. For there our captors demanded of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my, clung, may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one, how blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. So that tells us what kind of prayer is that. That's one of those imprecatory prayers, isn't it? Or uh, curses. So this is uh, so this is during the Babylonian captivity. It says by the rivers of Babylon. You know the Israelites were settled by they call them rivers, but they were it was actually a canal called the River Kibar. So Ezekiel one verse one, if I can get to it. 
gives a little of the geography there. Ezekiel 1, verse 1, Now it came about in the 30th year on the fifth day of the fourth month while I was by the river Kibar among the exiles. The heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. So that's, they were by this uh, canal is where they had, their captors had settled them. And there were willows by the river. Verse 2, upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps. And why do you think they hung their harps there? They didn't want to sing. You know, the people who had taken them captive were taunting them, right? Saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. So the quarterly says, so the Jewish musicians hung their harps on tree branches as a sign that they refused to perform religious music for their captors. These harps were handheld stringed instruments. The courageous Jewish musicians make good models for us when we are faced with a choice between an easy wrong and a difficult right. Sometimes it is necessary to take a stand on moral issues despite danger. Yeah, that goes to uh, civil disobedience, right? You obey the the Bible tells you to obey the government, right? But there is a limit to your obedience to the government. And what is the limit of your obedience to the government? Right. If the government, if the government's dictates and what the Lord tells us clash. In that case, we choose the Lord and we accept the consequences from what the government, because you may be punished for this by the government if, you know, a lot of the uh, people who go to uh, Planned Parenthood and they will pray outside of Planned Parenthood. Now the Department of Justice is prosecuting those people and sending them to jail. Right. But what they're doing is right. What the government is doing is wrong. Because they're trying to protect women and their babies from murder. So that's an example of the civil disobedience. And that was kind of the things that the Jewish musicians were doing here. They would refuse to sing worship songs for the Babylonians. So verse 4 tells why they did it. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So now why were they in Babylon? Do you remember why they were in Babylon? Right. Babylon was God's instrument to punish the Jews for failure to adhere to the Mosaic law. The, the Jews, before this happened, were awash in idolatry. They were worshiping all sorts of gods and all sorts of other... They were breaking the Mosaic Law in a lot of different ways. A lot of different ways. And the Lord had written into the Mosaic Law punishments for uh, breaking it. You know, that was part of the Mosaic Law. It was written right in. And he told them what would happen. And, you know, through the judges, we see what happened. You know, there are cycles of discipline and then revival, cycles of discipline and revival. And finally, at the kingdom, 
he they were taken out of their land and put into captivity. And Moses told them that would happen in Deuteronomy 28. Um, So that was just a fulfillment of prophecy. But they didn't like it very much. (laughs) And one thing the Babylonian captivity did do for the Jews was to break them of idolatry. That was part of the reason for Phariseeism. They were so afraid of idolatry that they would put rules around rules to prevent from going into idolatry or and to prevent from breaking the Sabbath. Because remember, that was another reason for the Babylonian captivity, their failure to keep the Sabbath for the land. Every seven years they were supposed to not plant their fields. They ignored that. They never, ever did that. Okay, verses 5 and 6. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. So now they're out. You know, they've been released. And um, back to Judah. And this is from the quarterly. Having come home with the returnees, this psalmist vowed his continued faithfulness to Jerusalem and therefore to Jerusalem's God. Of course, that meant following the Mosaic law. Perhaps he understood that it can sometimes be harder to do right when the pressure is off than when it is on. In situations of sudden ease, it is wise to renew one's commitment to living as God wishes, otherwise vigilant may sl- vigilance may slip. Now, I kind of disagree with what the quarterly says here. Um, are we supposed to follow the Lord through vigilance? Vigilance, vigilance. yeah. Does That word makes me tired. <laughs> if you just hear it, you know, vigilant, you have to be vigilant. Is that how... Yeah, is that how we're supposed to do it? You know, the key is to walk in the Spirit, right? Walking in the Spirit does not vigilance. You know, vigilance makes me think of the flesh. You're, You're trying really hard, you know, and things like that. If you tried to do the Christian life in the flesh, you will fail. You will fail. The flesh fails. The flesh will always fail. So, And this, is, I think, is a difficult concept to grasp. It was difficult for me to grasp. How do you walk in the Spirit? If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fail. What does that mean, though? Does anybody know what that means, to walk part, in the Spirit? Part of it's... Yeah. Yeah, I think... I, I, I agree. I think practically... Yeah, the pra- the practical way to walk in the Spirit is to expose yourself to God's Word. Expose yourself to God's Word. Read God's Word. And, and pray about it and have the Holy Spirit guide you. You know, for example, like we have devotions, right? We look at the Bible daily. Why do we do that? Because Jesus says the Bible is our food. The Bible is like food for our spirit, like breakfast cereal is or food for breakfast for our body. 
So we look at it and we pray, okay, how would the Lord want me to live out today? You know, and that's we see that in Romans six. We we don't present our body as an instrument for evil anymore once we're saved, but we present our bodies as instruments for God to use. And so He will guide us. Now, if you if you live that way, you're not going to tire out, and you're not going to get disappointed when things don't happen the way you think. I think that is practically how to walk in the Spirit. And, you know, I've thought about this for many years because when I first started following the Lord, this word spiritual is thrown around all the time, you know, and I'm like, what? what is that? What does that mean? Does anybody ever thought that? What is spiritual? Spiritual is obedience to the Holy Spirit. That is what spiritual is. So that means that you're committed to following what the Bible tells you to do. And the Lord will empower you to do what the Bible says. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what it says in Romans 6 too. So since we're saved, because we're saved, we don't present our bodies for to for sin anymore, which we did growing up because we're born into sin. Instead, we present ourselves to God for his use for righteousness. Um, that... And the reason we can do that is now we have a new nature that was given to us when we believed. So verse 7 through 9 shows us that this is an imprecatory prayer, which means it's a curse. And the curse is against Edom, and it is against Babylon. So it is against Edom because when the Jews were taken into captivity, by the Babylonians, the Edomites were cheering them on. They were cheering the Babylonians on. Verse 7 says, Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it to its very foundation. So they were saying, Go get them, Babylonians. You know? Remember, Edom and Israel are related. Edom is descended from Esau whereas Israel is descended from Jacob. They were twins. And uh, so, you know, the Lord didn't want the twins to be fighting that way. <laughs> and they, they did. I mean, Edom was a, an enemy of Israel the whole time. And But Babylon got the, the harsher curse, you know, Verse 9, how blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. So they were praying that just as they had killed their babies, that Babylonians' babies would be killed. So, and we know that us in the church are we to pray imprecatory prayers. Yes or no? In the church are we to pray for people's children to be killed and thrown against the rocks. No, we are not. We're in a different dispensation. This was okay under the Mosaic Law, but it's not okay under, under us for, for us because Romans 12, which is one of the scriptures that apply directly to us, says, bless those who persecute you. 
bless and do not curse. So um, as church age believers, we are not, the Lord doesn't give us the luxury of cursing our enemies. He wants us to bless our enemies hope, with the hope that they, that would turn them to him. That's the, that's the hope. So we do, we do not do that, although we see it in the Psalms quite often. Anything else about that one? Psalm 138.2 is very good, though. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word according to all your name. So that's the NASB. Some translations say you've held your word above your name. I think the New King James says that. So God has honored his word above his own name, which gives us an idea of how important the Bible is. It is extremely important. And that's why we read it and we study it and we look at it. Okay. Anything about that one? That is a beautiful verse. Okay, so section B, we are searched and known by God. Does somebody want to read uh, Psalm 139, verses 1 through 12? Okay, thank you. Now, this is a fascinating psalm. Um, what does this tell us? about God and his knowledge of us. There is nothing he doesn't know. Yeah, yeah he knows absolutely everything. He knows absolutely everything about what is going on. Yeah, right. There's, there's nothing he does not know. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, this psalm tells us a couple of things about God and his attributes. One is his omniscience. He knows everything about every person. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. So before we even think our thoughts, God knows our thoughts. He knows the thoughts that we're going to think in the future. So that's his omniscience. The other thing that Vicki was reading is about God's omnipresence. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, so dawn sunrises in the east, you go as far to the east as you can. If I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, of course, from Israel, the sea was to the west. So east, west, the size you can go up in space, as low as you can go down to Sheol, you cannot get away from God. He's everywhere at once. Uh, that, you know, so his arch enemy, the devil, is not like that. 
The devil is not everywhere at once. The devil does not know everything. Why can we say that? The devil is an angel, right? The devil is created. The devil was created by God. He's a created being, so he does not have these three attributes that God has, omnipotence, all power, omnipresence, being everywhere at once, and omniscience, knowing everything there is to know, only God has. Satan does not have those things, and yet he wants to be God, which sets him up for failure. So, you know, this gives us an interesting question. If God knows everything about us and he knows our thoughts, even before we think them, why do we pray? Yes. <laughs> he tells us to. I don't know the answer to that. I think that's very baffling. But... Yeah, and he wants, that's right, and he wants us to have fellowship with him. You know, he can he can see us, he can see what we're thinking, and things like that, but we need to volitionally, you know, I mean, we need to decide that we're going to talk to him. Yeah, you know, Jesus told us, Luke 18, 1, he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. So at all times, Jesus tells us we're to pray because God wants us to have a relationship with him. And he made us to do that. And so we have the uh, capability to do that. We can do that. And a big part of that is prayer. That's how we communicate to God. The uh, pray at all, all times. No, that was Luke 18. Oh, Luke 18, verse 1. Yeah. So, you know, God communicates us most commonly now through the Bible. Um, and we communicate with him through prayer. We You know, Jesus said, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will not pass away. You know, so the Bible is very permanent, and uh, so we respond to His Word, and we talk back. We talk back to Him through prayer, and we ask Him things, and we tell Him things, and we thank Him, and all those things. And that's how we have a real relationship with our Creator. Yes. So the Lord surrounds us at all times, verses 8 through 12. We just talked about that. Uh, dark, we can't hide from God in darkness because he can see in darkness. It's like he has night goggles. And uh, so we just can't hide from God, and no one can. So when are we glad to know this? that we cannot hide from God.
Yeah, if you're in fellowship with God, this is something that makes you happy. If you're in fellowship with God, if you're not in fellowship with God, let's say you're a mafia don, or you're a pimp, or you're a drug dealer, this knowledge would not make you happy. <laughs> you know, sometimes I wonder about our political leaders, because I think, you know, a lot of our political leaders do things that they don't want known, and they don't want God to know. So they suppress their knowledge of God. Right. Yeah. So, but God does know them just as intimately as he knows those who are in fellowship with him. So have you ever tried to escape from God? You know, David here is talking about trying to escape from God. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Has anybody ever tried to escape from God? I have not done that. What I, what I did is I started to believe the propaganda that God and the Bible did not matter, you know, I became secular. You know, I went off to college. And, of course, the people in college are, you know, mostly secular atheists. Or if they believe in a higher power, it's some kind of weird thing, new age thing or something like that. And I remember my sister calling me one day. We were living in San Antonio, and I forget what the topic of discussion was, but she asked me, do you even believe in God? And I said, I don't know. You know? Yeah. We, yeah, we were, we were taken to a liberal Presbyterian church. That's uh, the church I grew up in. And uh, so, you know, it kind of fell away. And what brought me back to the Lord was divorce. So I would say I went away from God just by attrition, you know. I just faded away. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that I, if I died during that time, I would have gone to heaven because I believed as a child. And the Lord makes a promise to you when you believe that you have eternal life. But anyway, we know the prophet Jonah, right? says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship, which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah ran from the Lord. Now, was he successful? No, that's the whole point of the book of Jonah, is he was not successful. He actually was eaten by a fish. And, you know, in reading that, it appears that he died, and he was resurrected and vomited out. And then the Lord gave him a second chance. And he did it. So, you know, running from God is not going to be successful. So, 
and that was true of me too. You know, I faded away, and the Lord shook me up with uh, discipline. Is what he he got me. It was very severe discipline. Okay, anything else about that? So it's very comforting if you're lost or if you're having trouble to know that the Lord is right there. He's right there. Okay, section C is the work of God's hands. Now this speaks to something that is common in our day, which is the practice of abortion. Verse 13, For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. O oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So again, David is cursing his enemies a little bit here, um, which we're not allowed to do. <laughs> Just a reminder. Um, but when when people say uh, about their children, I made that, have you heard women say, I made you know, their daughter or their son? Yeah. That is like a chalkboard, fingernails on a chalkboard to me, you know, because, no, you did not make that. Right. What did you have to do with it, <laughs> you know? Um, this tells who made it, who made that baby. Yeah, God made that baby. Um, he is the creator. Obviously, he's very good at it. And we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, I'm a physician, and so... Um, it is amazing. The, the human body is a marvel of engineering. It is just amazing how it works and how complex it is. You know, you spend your time in medical st school studying anatomy and physiology and biochemistry. Um, and it all works and we don't even pay attention to it, you know how our body works and unless it starts to not work. And poor Nick, I see him back there. You know, it's not working that well because it's it's hurting. And, uh, you know, the, the bodies that we're now are temporary. The bodies we have now are temporary and they will wear out. We're waiting for our eternal bodies, which God will also have made. So what does this passage say about abortion? abortion? It's a sin. Yeah, abortion is a horrid sin, a horrid sin, because you're uh, killing 
and eat. It is an attack on God, yeah. You're killing an eternal being, which happens to be your child, you know, because you can't, the parents have to be involved in abortion. Um, and so it's, the, it's child mur murder, and it's very closely, you know, it's the same as what happened in the Canaanite countries, and I think it was Ammon. And the Israelites adopted it, and it was the worship of Molech. And they would take their babies, and they would put them and burn them on the idol. And they did that because they wanted Molech to bless them. Yeah, so they would... Right, so they would kill their children in a horrible way to get a blessing from God, so-called. So we know that that was demonic, you know, and and really abortion is demonic also. You, yeah, you know, how could you do that? Although, you know, people do that now with abortion because, you know, when the baby's inside, you don't think of the baby as a baby. It's just a, it's a lump. I know, I know that. But you're not as attached, you know, as when the baby is born and they're, they come out and they're all cute and all this stuff. Yeah. That's why sexuality is very important. It needs to be very carefully guarded and needs to be, it's only meant to be in a committed, believing marriage. That's where sexuality needs to take place. Outside of those bounds. It leads to all sorts of havoc. Yeah. So verse 16, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet these were, there was not one of them. So what is he saying here? Yeah, yeah, part of our makeup is this eternal spirit. This eternal human spirit. Yeah. Yeah, that they are eternal. Yeah, every person is an eternal being. And uh, and the Lord knows the number of days you will live. He knows the number of days you will live. Now, would you like to know that? Or do you think that would be a scary thing? It's Psalm 139, verse 16. It says, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, so before you were born he saw you, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me. So every day of your life the Lord knows, and he knows the last day of your life. Um, and then, does that mean our, our days predetermined? Does God choose, you know, this is a Calvinist idea that God chooses everything that happens to us. So, for example, the Calvinists would say not everyone, Jesus did not die for everyone, but only for the elect, only those who God chose ahead of time, which goes against the fact that God made us in his image. That Calvinist idea goes against how God made us. God made us with a, the ability of choice you know, I personally think this 
goes to the fact of God's omniscience and his foreknowledge. God sees the end from the beginning. He does give us a choice. Does he affect our choices? Yes, he can. We see that with Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his own heart six times. Then God hardened his heart one time. And then another time. Pharaoh then hardened his heart another time. And then God finally hardened his heart with a decision about the death of the firstborn. So did God influence Pharaoh? Yes, he did. But the Pharaoh had chosen to disobey God six times before God intervened. And, you know, I, I think that happens to others too, you know. You can reject Christ. Okay? You can change your mind again. You can reject him again. You can reject him again. Eventually, the Lord will harden your heart in that position. And you will suffer the consequence. Okay? That's why That's why I think teaching the gospel to children is important, because children have not hardened yet. <laughs> you know, as you grow, you, you tend to harden, especially if you harden against God. That, that makes you much more difficult to believe. So, but this is Romans 8, 28 through 30. There's a chain of events that happens when someone is saved. And it goes all the way through glorification. And Paul speaks of glorification as if it has already happened. So we know that we're not glorified yet, right? We know that. But this says that we are. And this is Romans 8, yeah, starting in verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew. Okay, for, for knowing means that God can see into the future. He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. So what is be being predestined here is those who believe God predestines that they, their character will be like Jesus. So you can be assured that one day your character will be like that of Jesus because God has predestined that so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren, and these whom he predestined, he also called. So what does called mean? Anybody know what called means? What is a call? What he's talking about here. That's when someone presents you the gospel. That's the first time you hear the gospel. When you hear the gospel, you're being called. And these whom he called, he also justified. What does justified mean? What happens that makes you justified? You believe the gospel. Yeah. For me, it was at a good news club. I was seven years old. Someone said, if you trust in Jesus, he will give you eternal life. And he gave, they gave us a little picture of a present wrapped up. 
and they told us, all you have to do is take this gift. The gift was eternal life. Well, I believe that. So that is when I was justified. When you're justified, you believe the gospel. You believe in Jesus. And then it says, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. So glorification comes when? When does glorification come? Are we glorified now? Right, but at this present moment, moment are we? No. <laughs> Just look, in the, the look in the mirror. Yeah. Faith has brought the work inside. Faith has brought the work inside. Glorification will come in the future. Glorification is the absence of sin in us. That, there's no sin in us. That happens at death. Or if we're lucky enough or fortunate enough to be the rapture generation, it happens in the rapture. It is when the sin nature is removed from us. Now, believers have two natures. We have a new nature that loves God. We have the old sin nature that hates God. That's what we were born with. And as you're growing, going through your life, there is a war between these two natures every day. Are you going to follow the old nature, the sin nature, or are you going to follow the new nature? And that is your choice every day. And that is called discipleship. And so, and that's called sanctification. Now, Paul skips sanctification in this, in this list. He just talks about the things God does alone. Sanctification, we cooperate with God. We can become more godly in this life if we cooperate with him so that sin has less and less power over us. But we can't get rid of sin totally. And so if we respond to God, we can become much more godly in this life. We can't become sinless, but we, we, you know, we can sin much less. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we'll have a much more blessed life, you know, if we follow the Lord. Yeah. So verse 23 and 24, this is how David cooperated with God. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. So he, you know, the Lord knows everything about you, but he, uh, on purpose, opened himself up to God. Say, please search me. This is what we should do at communion. You know, it says to examine yourself and see whether you're in the faith. Does that mean if you believe a believer, see if you're saved or not? No, because Jesus says once you're saved, you, you can't be unsaved. What it means is, is there active sin in your life now that you need to confess before you take communion? Um, so that the Lord won't judge you for that sin. Because the Corinthians are doing all sorts of things, you know, sinful things, and they were dying <laughs> because of it. Because they were in sin while they're taking the Lord's Supper. Okay, now I'm going to skip a whole bunch of psalms and go to the last psalm. 
Psalm 150. There's a lot of good psalms in there, guys, if you want to read them later. Oh, I got to read this one. Psalm 149. Because this is kind of cool. Psalm 149, verses 5 through 9 says this. Let the godly... Well... Okay, let the godly ones exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written, for this is an honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Now I suspect I can't I'm, I can't prove it for sure, but I think what is written about here is when Jesus comes back in the second coming, who will come with him, and we will come with him. Yeah, because we will be raptured before the tribulation period. We will spend seven years in heaven, and we will come back with him, and we're the saints. We're the godly ones. Of course, I guess the godly ones could be the holy angels. But when we come back, remember Jesus comes back on a white horse and those in heaven come following him on their own white horses. You know, so I wonder if we'll be involved in this to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples. To execute on them the judgment written, this is an honor for all his godly ones. In Revelation, it talks about Jesus just speaking the word and all of his enemies die. So I don't know if there will be much sword play. But, you know, being a boy, I think that's cool. (laughs) So anyway, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So where are we to praise? First verse tells you. In in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. So his sanctuary is the temple on earth. His mighty expanse is in the heavens. So earth and heaven. Why are we to praise him? Verse 2 tells us why we are to praise him. For his mighty deeds and according to his excellent greatness. God is excellently great. And so we just praise him because he's awesome, man does wonderful deeds. And then verses 3 through 5 tells us how we praise him. And, you know, this goes to uh, worship wars and people not liking certain kinds of music and things like that. And everybody has their own preference and stuff like that. Look at all the variety here. We praise him with timbrel and dancing. You know, some denominations used to say that dancing was a sin. Well, it says to dance right here. 
present with stringed instruments and pipe, loud cymbals. I would assume that includes drums and resounding cymbals. So, and, you know, multiple varied musical instruments and dancing. Very joyous. And then verse 6 tells who should praise and who is that? Everything that breathes. <laughs> so, not just humans, not just angels, but, you know, the animal kingdom also, you know. So, that's the end of the Psalms. So anyway, Lord, we thank you for the Psalms. We thank you that uh, if we want to pray and we're not sure how to pray, that they give us a, a springboard to pray and uh, show us how to pray. And we know that you want us to pray. So help us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.